Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. Today in the studio. Hi, this is Paul Greenberg. If I had to use, I guess, one phrase to describe what this audiobook process was like, I guess I might say time travel, because, you know, when you piece together a narrative like this, where there are many different journeys and people met and different scenarios that unfolded in the course of your life, they kind of are frozen in time in a part of your life that seems past, but somehow trying to bring the audio to the listener in a way that feels alive, you kind of have to imagine yourself, you know, back on that jet ski, back in Antarctica while a penguin won't let you cross its path. All these kinds of scenarios seem to kind of replay again. So it's in a way you get a funny kind of second chance at seeing them. So I've written two other books about the ocean, Four Fish and American Catch. And in each of those books, there was kind of like a big question that emerged in the course of researching. In Four Fish, the question was, how did we get to this point where half of our seafood is wild and half of it is farmed? The second book, American Catch, was foreign versus domestic. How did we get to this point where, as the United States, we control more ocean than any country on Earth, and yet 90% of our seafood is imported? How did that happen? For this last book, I realized I also needed a big question like that, you know, farmed versus wild, domestic versus imported. And I really wasn't quite sure where I was going with it. But then it was funny. I happened to have coffee with Michael Pollan. And I was looking at Michael. And, you know, Michael's like very personable, very nice person. And he dresses well. And I was sort of looking at his sort of stature. And it suddenly occurred to me that Americans eat 210 pounds of land food meat per year and only 15 pounds of seafood. And I suddenly have this kind of funny disconnect, like, well, there is Michael with his 210 pounds of seafood, and there's me with only 15 pounds of seafood. So I suddenly was like, well, maybe the real question is seafood versus land food. Maybe this crazy imbalance where we're eating so much land food meat and so little seafood, maybe this is an opportunity to talk about the trade-offs we've made in trying to make our diet so meat-focused and so little-focused on the ocean. So that was definitely part of it. The other track I was thinking about a lot was that, so I just turned 50, but I was in my late 40s as I wrote this book. And one of the things I realized was that when you start looking into omega-3s, all the things omega-3s promise to do, like help your heart, help your memory, maybe help with your sperm count, your joints, I realized that all these things were things that describe cures for middle age. And here I was really kind of cruising into the very heart of middle age. And suddenly there was this compound called omega-3s. And also this omega-3 compound was implicitly and explicitly connected to the entire food system of the ocean, at least in how it's discussed in most magazines and newspapers. So I thought this was a good way in to look at a lot of different things going on in the ocean, but yet remain focused on what readers are interested in, which is their health and their food. Narrating an audiobook is the actual act of doing it isn't that hard, especially if you're used to doing public speaking, which I am. What's hard about it actually is seeing your words again and realizing that they're more or less set in stone and that's it. That's the book. And it's slightly torturous. It's slightly a feeling of like, ugh, if only I could work on this one more time, if only I could have another shot at this. But it's also, I think, a useful exercise in that we always have to let go. I'm always reminded of Camus' book, The Plague. And there's one character who keeps coming up to the main character, Dr. Ria. He's trying to write a novel, 
All he can write is the first sentence, and he keeps coming to Dr. Rhea, having slightly rewritten the same sentence again and again and again. And it's so obvious that this guy is never going to write his novel. I think that one of the ways you make the transition from being just somebody who writes a little bit here and there and wishes they wrote a book to somebody who actually has written a book and gotten it out the door and gone on to write other books is that ability to kind of take it as far as you can, finish it, and move on. And hopefully you'll get closer to perfection the next time around. Being comfortable with that is to be a living writer. And so the audiobook is one more slap in the face reminding you of that very important lesson. The most surprising thing about doing an audiobook was how sometimes you actually can get moved by your own words. And I know that that sounds like a little bit pretentious, but anyone who's finished a book, you rewrite and rewrite so many times. So you're sort of assured somehow in the back of your brain that you've managed to squeeze all of the emotion out of your heart and put it on the page, and there's no way it's going to go back into your heart. But there were certain passages like in the end of the Antarctica chapter, and I was reading the last bit about being in the middle of this storm and watching an albatross fly overhead. And I was really moved by the Antarctic experience and about how that continent really represents the best of humanity in a way, in the way that we've approached conservation there, in the way that we've approached international collaboration. And I found myself actually kind of welling up a little bit as I was reading that part, especially as I sit here in the spring of 2018, where there's so much discord and so much environmental bad news every single day. That passage, which actually had been written before much of the present hard stuff was going on, politically, I mean, I was like remembering that there was this period of idealism, of forward thinking in humanity, and it moved me. There were a couple of words that I realized I'd written many times, but I'd never pronounced. And I actually have to look at my my handwritten notes here that was icosapentanoic acid and dicosahexanoic acid, that's EPA and DHA fatty acids, which are actually the kind of Abbott and Costello of this book, or the, I don't know what other duos are, the Batman and Robin of this book. So the fact that I didn't know how to pronounce them, even though I'd heard them pronounced many times, I'd never actually tried to pronounce them myself. That was challenging, and fortunately I had a director who was very sympathetic to my plight. I'm excited about this audiobook because I've been calling this the third in my marine trilogy, Four Fish and American Catcher, my other books. I'm not sure why they asked me to do it this time and not the other times. It might be because a couple of years ago, I did a PBS Frontline special all about fish and to some degree of my books. That was actually the time that I first learned how to kind of narrate professionally. I spent a lot of time on the narration for that documentary. So I was very much under the tutelage of David Fanning, who was producing that particular episode and who was actually the creator of Frontline. We did a lot of the rough cut narrations over Skype when he was in Boston. I'd be in New York and I'd look up in the window, the Skype window to see David in the corner. And I realized he was conducting. <laughs> he was actually conducting me as if I was an instrument. So I found myself in the absence of David Fanning kind of conducting myself. I had my hands up in the air. So I'm hoping I make David Fanning proud. The process of reading an audiobook out loud, you can't just pick it up and read it like it's a book, and you can't act it out as if it's a script. It's somewhere kind of deviously in the middle. And I felt myself in the zone oftentimes, and I'm hoping... I hit that zone in enough places in the book to make people find this to be a pleasant experience. My dream narrator. Um, 
There are certain books that I've heard on tape that I think are brilliant. I'm a huge fan of Derek Jacobi's audiobook of The Iliad, which is just amazing. So I suppose, you know, in terms of just raw chops as a narrator, Derek Jacobi would be good. But, you know, actually, when I think of this book and the many different characters that came in, and there's a certain kind of Americana that runs through the book, I think Sam Shepard might be kind of fun. I guess he's dead, but, you know, certainly he's a nice-looking man, so it'd be nice to have people imagining me as Sam Shepard. <laughs> I've listened to a bunch of audiobooks. Being the father of a 11-year-old child, inevitably I get pulled into the direction of tween and child-friendly audiobooks. We started listening to the Lemony Snicket audiobooks, narrated by the totally awesome Tim Curry who's just amazing and just is so arch and perfect. And, like, they're pretty repetitive, and they're very tropey, and the same guy disguises himself as somebody else, but he's really the evil guy, da-da-da-da. It's almost like Commedia dell'arte, like these iconic characters have to appear again and again as these iconic characters, and you're like, oh, I want to hear that voice again. And so when Tim Curry did it, it was like, again, like you were part of some sort of great auditory tradition. Aside from that, as I mentioned, I think, earlier... Derek Jacobi's rendition of the Iliad, fantastic. If you ever have like a 20-hour drive or however many hours it is, by all means, listen to it. And actually, similarly, Ian McKellen doing the Odyssey is quite good. So those are my picks. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.